Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have dealt with my body image my entire life. And then when I came into the television world, it was like, whoa, it was magnified. We get these messages now about diet and health. The word health is kind of a stand-in for weight loss. You hear it all the time, so it really is the air we breathe. For me, I would go to my grandma's house, and it's like, here, eat this in this huge plate, and if you don't eat it, you don't love me. And, and it's almost like, I want to say that's kind of where it started. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome to the Cheekies and Chill podcast. So last week, the My Cultura podcast network hosted its first live event. And guys, it was so much fun. It was so nice seeing so many of your faces at the iHeartRadio Theater in Burbank. And I really enjoyed answering your questions. So for those of you who missed the event, or for those of you who want to experience it again, we're going to air an episode of the live event here on my podcast in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up about that, okay? But moving on to today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking about something almost everyone thinks about, food and dieting. We're also going to be talking about eating disorders. So if you find any of these things triggering, you might want to skip the episode and listen to a previous episode. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. This is Cheekies and Chill. Here with me today is Cole Kasdan. She's an award-winning journalist and author of the new book, What's Eating Us? Women, Food, and the Epidemic of Body Anxiety. In the book, Cole talks a lot about diet culture here in America and our relationship to food. Cole, I am so happy you're here with us. Congratulations on publishing your first book. Thank you so much. That and I'm amazing. so happy to be here, Chiquis. Oh, I really am. Thank you. No, I, I, I think this is a very important topic, especially for women. I think men and women, but as women, we're told you're not thin enough, you're this, you're that, and me being in the industry. So we'll get into all of that in a little bit. But I want to know from you, what inspired you? What made you say, I need to write 
my very first book and publish it about this topic. Well, I had written some smaller, shorter pieces about my personal experience with eating disorders. And I had also written some pieces as a journalist about these issues. And I never really wanted to write a book because I didn't want to sit in these issues any mm-hmm. longer than I had to. Right. I wanted to talk right. about them, but not too much. And then I realized <laughs> that these ideas, these thoughts in my head, these things I was telling myself in my head, the trouble I was having, living what I was hoping to be like a more normal, peaceful, balanced life, it was not changing, whether I wrote about Mm -hmm. it or not. So I became more curious, am I the only one that can't resolve this? Am I the only one that doesn't feel like I'm on the other side of this after struggling for so long? And so I decided to approach this like I would a journalist. Instead of looking at it just as a patient or as a woman, I thought, I'm going to do this like a journalist and talk to people. And every single woman I interviewed for the book had some version. We all come from different backgrounds. We're all different people. But we shared so much. And so much of that Mm. was, am I crazy? Is this in my head? Is this my fault? Same stuff over and over again. And that's when I felt this urgency to write a book. Like, let's get more information. Let's get empowered from the information. Let's find out what's missing, which is a lot. And let's Mm -hmm. try to fix it. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for doing this because I have dealt with my body image for my entire life. And then you know, being in the industry and being a singer, being on television, it was even more so where I knew I was always thicker than all the rest of the girls at school. But then when I came into the television world, it was like, whoa, it was magnified. Mm-hmm. And even to the point where I feel and, and I and I saw in your book, I read in your book that also it's almost like those words get they they get so attached to you and you believe them so much that instead of you even losing weight, you gain more weight. Like it's like this. Like, and I feel like that's what happened to me. You know what I mean? And, and, and I also saw that there's 30 million Americans that have eating disorders. And that statistic is pre-pandemic. So it's kind of an old statistic. Like, we really saw eating disorders and hospitalizations for eating disorders just explode during the pandemic. So those numbers, most of the researchers I spoke with agreed that they're pretty, it's a low ball. Yeah. And, and, and what about kids? Um, like how, how early are they developing these eating disorders now? Well, being a teenager is a really common time to develop an eating disorder. And that's yeah. usually when we think about eating disorders. That's what we have. That's a picture we have in our mind of like a teenager, right? Uh-huh. Kids start to have these feelings sometimes around six or seven. They want to lose weight. And then women who are 80 have eating disorders. So mm-hmm. even though it happens, you know, it's very common among teenagers. Kids that are pretty young are starting to have these thoughts, these feelings. And of course they are because we're all walking the same earth, you know? Yeah. And where do you think they're picking this up from? You think it's social media, family, friends, school? Well, I think it's so complex and it's all of those things and more things, right? So we also are just born into a world that is telling us from the second we are born we have to be thinner. I mean, Mm -hmm. your weight is evaluated from the second you can step on a scale, right? So we get these messages now about diet and health too. Like the word health is kind of a stand-in 
for weight loss now. So it's all very, very blurry. But I think that we have a really complex attitude about our bodies because we get these diet messages. We get these health messages. Doesn't everyone have someone in their family one way or another who was either on a diet, thinking Mm -hmm. about a diet, talking about what was on their plate, talking about they had to eat less? You hear it all the time. So it really is the air we breathe. Mm -hmm. And then if you add to that any sort of stress or trauma in your life, (sighs) done. Right. So these are very complex, but it's like we have so many factors leading into it that can put us on this course to develop really unhealthy behaviors that can harm our bodies through restricting. And that's what I was going to ask. That's my my next question. What exactly does an eating disorder look like? I mean, that is the question of the hour. I'm not dodging Mm -hmm. the question, but we know that there are some official eating disorders like anorexia which is really severely restricting your food intake until you get to a certain very low weight where you're really restricting food. There's bulimia where you're binging food and then purging it and then binge eating, which is eating um, large, large amounts of food that the average person would probably not eat. It's kind of not really perfectly defined, right? But those are the three eating disorders we think of. But there's this whole other category of eating disorders that is basically everything else. Mm -hmm. And if you don't fit into one of those perfect neat categories, then you're in the everything else category. So I'll use myself as an example. I starved myself constantly. I was, I guess you could say anorexic because I got very, very, very thin and didn't eat. But because I didn't have a particular BMI, I would not have been officially classified as anorexic. Oh, wow. So it's called atypical anorexia, which is, oh, okay. I make a joke about this in my book. It's not funny, mm-hmm. not skinny enough for real anorexia. Jeez. So you are forcing your body to get to a weight that's way below what it wants to be. And that's an eating disorder, but not really officially. So there are so many more disorders than there are definitions. And and you feel that it's all it's like mental, emotional, like it's all, like, you know, because I, I wonder, I'm like, is it emotional? I mean, I feel like I for a long time I was an emotional eater. Like sure. I was, if I was really sad, it made me feel better to eat, you know, especially after losing my mom. That's when I feel I gained the most weight and I was holding on to it almost as if it was like, no, this is what makes me feel safe. And then I went through a divorce and it was even worse. And it's like, no matter what, like. And I would just eat and I would eat because it made me feel better. I mean, I know. I, is it both mental and emotional? I mean, a lot of the new research uh, is pointing to the fact that these, for many people, have like a brain predisposition. Like your brain may not trigger fullness the way the average person triggers fullness. Or your brain may not register hunger the way the average person registers hunger. So you may not have a chemical regulation. So mm-hmm. if some people tell you, oh, just kind of eat what you want, but your brain isn't giving you the accurate messages about hunger and what your body needs, you can't really do that intuitive eating thing. Yes. Another thing on top of that is, I mean, you talk about your divorce, you talk about losing your mother, that's trauma. That's stress. So trauma sends us towards this as well, right? So it's, so it's very complicated. We can't just say... Because a lot of people like to talk about social media, which is fair. Social media mm-hmm. is not helping anyone with their body image. Yeah. But it's so much more complex than that. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I feel like some people confuse eating healthy with having a problem with it, like with an eating disorder. For example, if you are eliminating carbs or fats, is that just eating healthy, you know? So the research from, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm a journalist, but the researchers I spoke with who are doctors who do research this say that when you eliminate one food or one food group, your brain starts to notice that food group more. So let's say you give up bread and you're like, I'm seeing bread everywhere. Well, that's not just you and your willpower. That's your brain. Because like your brain doesn't care what you're wearing to the Grammys. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. your brain doesn't care. She's trying to just keep you alive. So when you say I'm giving up bread, your body's like, we got to find some bread. It's it's so true. (laughs) I did. Yeah. And I did keto for so long, which is very like, 
high protein, high fats, and like absolutely like no carbs, very little carbs. And it worked, don't get me wrong. And I liked it. And that's what I prefer most of the time. But you're absolutely right. It's like my body was craving it even more. And then when I would have it, instead of having a little bit, I would have a whole lot of it, you know? So I've learned, I'm telling you, it's been a journey my entire life. Now I finally got it. I'm like, oh, it's portion control. You know, it's like I can have everything. It's just having a little bit of everything. If I deprive myself and I say even the word diet, for me, it's been where I it's I'm like, oh, I'm on a diet. It becomes like this negative connotation where it should be. It's a lifestyle change. I want to be healthy. Like I had it was a whole switch in my mind. It's like this is my lifestyle. I want to live longer. I want to feel good. And in order to do that, then I got to make these little changes. But if I want to have a little bit of cake, I'm going to have it. You know what I mean? It's all saying, okay, instead of having the entire slice, I'm going to have a few forkfuls. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's, it's been, it's, it's been a journey. So I, I get it completely. But also it's hard, you know, what you're talking about is really important to kind of highlight because when we change what the goal is, which is really, really, really hard, we change the goal in our head from like, I'm trying to be smaller, which look, I understand if you're a human being in the entertainment industry, that is hard you know, to actually think because mm-hmm. you have people are if you're not thinking about your body all the time, other people around you are right. But I think if you think right, about yeah. I want to have more energy, I want to feel good, I want to sleep better, whatever those goals are, if you can create goals that are not around the size of your body, it would serve you well, mm-hmm. because we can't control especially as we get older, we can control less and less with that. So we might as well just be like, okay, let me let me see how I can set some different goals. Yeah, for me, it was more than anything as I'm getting more mature, getting older, you know, I'm more of like concerned about my poops. It's just the truth. I'm like, <laughs> I want to poop better. You know what I mean? Like, I want to have a better digestion system. And that's something that I've had an issue with. Again, I've been very like constipated. I'm always looking for fiber and all this stuff. I'm like, I need to start maybe my day off with like a green juice. I just, I want to get things going and flowing and that helped me a lot as well. Like I had to remove, like you said, I want to be thinner and to please other people. I'm like, F that. I want to feel good. I want to have more energy. I want to sleep better. And all this stuff gets harder to sustain like as we get older. So when I was younger and I was starving myself and I would eat an apple and throw up that apple because I was so afraid of what that would do to me. I mean, it's yeah. it's sick. It's sick. I probably could not have sustained that much longer than I did, even though I was able to for a long time. When you are doing behaviors that are that extreme, Mm -hmm. it happens. You go to the hospital in a second. It's not like you slowly start to feel like you you are in an ambulance. No notice. Right. right? So I know people don't want to talk about that piece of it because it's like, oh, it's fine. I just do that. It's like we really have to talk about that. You don't know until you know, but it gets real fast. And so we have to start. It's a practice to, if we can identify that something's going on, if we are able to seek treatment, which is really, really hard. I wish it were obvious and easier, but it is not. That's another reason why I wrote the book to like, this is information. If you or someone you love is struggling with this, like this is what you have to do. You have to do a lot of work because our culture is not set up to help people get well from this, unfortunately. But to set, when you're better, to when you're getting better, to set different goals around eating and exercise, just like you're talking about. And and Cole, okay, so the diet the diet industry is a multi mil actually billion dollar industry. 
What do you think about that? Do you think that that says like what we value in this world? I mean, I think, yeah, we do have those values as a culture, of course. Mm -hmm. But I also think that these companies put more money than we could even imagine into advertising, into selling us this. And we're being very manipulated. And so Mm -hmm. that's when I talk to other people I want to always tell everyone it's not your fault. Like it's, you know, I I don't want to think about all the money I spent on diets and trainers, all this stuff to make, you know, like to change my body and not when I was thinking about health, but really just thinking about one goal and one goal only. And that was getting smaller. But we are being really, I don't want to say manipulated only because that makes it seem like we're not smart enough to figure it out. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's not an accident. Companies are spending billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars to separate us from our money to lose weight, right? And most of the people who seek weight loss treatments, weight loss programs, I'm one of them. Most people are repeat customers. That's where diet companies get most of the business. So if it's repeat customers, that means it's not working. Otherwise, every weight loss company would go out of business. Instead, mm-hmm. it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. I, I And I have a nutrition company, right? And obviously I have uh, something, it's called a skinny stick, right? That's like, it's supposed to help you like burn fat or whatnot. But it's like, our whole thing is wellness. It's just really wanting to be healthy and not do it just to be physically okay, but also internally, the most importantly, internally being healthy. Um, And do you feel that the uh, body positivity movement uh, is changing anything at all? Yeah. I mean, what's so tricky is this goes so deep. So I think it's important that we see women of different sizes. I think that's really important. I also think, though, we have to learn, which I didn't know, that people who are in larger bodies can be fired from their jobs for being in a larger body, like legally. What I didn't heck? know that there were not legal protections for people. So many, many years ago, a group of cocktail servers at a casino in Atlantic City, they sued because their boss was weighing them when they went back to work. And if they gained weight, they were told to they had to leave and come back when they lost the weight. Wow. That's legal. The case was dismissed because there's no protection. We have protections for gender you know, sexual orientation, identity, ethnicity. No one can fire you because you are Mexican or Italian, but they can fire you for gaining 20 pounds. That's insane. So like the (laughs) laws need to change, right? Like New York City just passed a law that will go into effect, I think next year, uh, making height and weight discrimination illegal. And so those are now protected classes, but they're not protected federally. So I know I'm getting so nitty gritty here, but that connects to why doesn't someone like their body? Well, they may not know that they can be fired, but they can probably feel it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like like and, and that affects even though these weight issues definitely affect men, too. They affect women so much more. And size affects women in the workplace in a negative way and men sometimes in a positive way. There was a study of um, female political candidates and women who were larger, heavier were not considered as trustworthy and men who were larger were considered more powerful. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. 
What the heck? And I'm going to tell you, like my personal experience uh, now that I've I've lost about 60 something pounds, 67 pounds. I feel I see the difference in the industry, how people treat me, people in the industry. Like it's now it's kind of like and I had a whole episode on this and it's literally, oh, my gosh, now you're so beautiful. And I'm like, what? Like, it's just now, like now they want to touch you and hug you. And it's like, oh, now you can come to dinner with us and you're part of our group. And I'm like, no, if you don't want me at my biggest, at my largest, at my beautifulness, then no, I'm not going to be your friend. It just has to change as a whole. Like you said, like all these companies, everything, it, 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 everything. Like that's why with even with everything that I do, I'm like, I'm going to have a casting call for for a body shaper. And, and I want to bring in the real woman, the woman with the cellulite, the curvy woman, even if there is a, a size six model next to it, but it's like coming together and uniting and showing the beauty that we can be beautiful, all shapes and sizes. Like it's like something has to change. We all have to be intentional in doing this. And that's the thing. I mean, that was another reason I was hoping that the book could at least inspire this, that community is the way out of all of this. Community, there you go. Right, that is the key. Like I kept coming back to that. Like, yes, there's, you know, some scientific research and new studies and there are some great people doing some great work to help people, yes. But community is where this is at. That is the way out. You need other people around you, maybe who have shared your lived experience, who you can connect with, who you can say exactly what you just said to me. Why weren't you coming up and hugging me when I was bigger, right? Yeah. Why? Why didn't you see yes. me beautiful then? That has to happen, but it we can't do that alone. Yeah, we can't. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, to live and die in LA. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. 
I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I talk about social media because I'm in the world and, and I've noticed that sometimes when I'm on you know, people's pages, you feel a little anxious and you feel like, you know, I'm like, I had to kind of remove myself and say, I'm just going to post and go about my day and not stay stuck on social media because a lot of these lifestyles, a lot of these bodies, which they're beautiful, you know, it's, it's nice to see and, and, and look at, but it's a huge facade. And a lot of them have the money to make their bodies that way. And it's like, it's, it's a whole thing. That's a whole, I feel like other episode, but it does cause a little bit of like anxiety, which is why it's like, Hey, we have to be considerate and passionate and everyone is beautiful no matter your size no matter you know it's it's all about wanting to I think there's room for improvement for all of us and wanting to be healthier of course but that doesn't mean because I'm 20 pounds heavier than you I'm less pretty or smart you know and I'm glad you brought up anxiety too because like we think about eating disorders or any kind of disordered eating and I think the first thought I had is you know, I knew someone who had a heart attack. I was researching some of the like immediate health dangers. But mm -hmm. if you look past that, there is an intensity of anxiety, an intensity of depression. If you're feeling bad about your body, you may be less likely to want to go outside your house to exercise. You may not want to go to the doctor because you kind of feel eh, about your body. So Having other people tell you negative things about your body or just feeling that way really increases a lot of these mental health issues besides the eating part. Right. No, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in your book, it also talks about recovery and mental health. Can you talk about some of the steps people can take to change the way they think about food and and their bodies? That's a big question. And <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think... One of the first things that people could really do, like even right now, is start looking at communities that they can be a part of that can support, even if they don't have an eating disorder, but just want to start reframing the way they think about food and their bodies. There are some great communities out there for people with eating disorders who had one or have one or a family member might be worried someone they love has one. Project Heal is a great organization and there's an amazing group called Nalgona Positivity Pride. Oh. Run by this woman named Gloria Lucas. And she has a support group called Sage and Spoon. It's exclusively for BIPOC. And they talk about these issues around recovery and food and bodies. And something that Gloria does with Nalgona is she deals a lot in harm reduction, mm -hmm. which is saying to someone, and she's actually a separate to talk to. I, I don't want to speak for her. But she talks a lot about how you may be in this place where you're not being very kind to your body, but it may mm -hmm. be a response 
to stress and trauma in your life. And no one can expect you to just snap your fingers and get all better. So how can we do little things, harm reduction, to get you a little healthier, maybe support you in other ways while you do what you need to do to alleviate your stress? And it's a really compassionate, beautiful approach. And so that's an area where that's a community that I would refer people to as well. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I, I think it is just really about focusing inward. Um, and that's what helped me. And, and I stopped listening to all that negativity because it was a lot. It's a lot being thrown at me. And I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, these people don't know me. What's important is what's inside of me, my heart, who I am, you know, and I can get rid of the the extra body, you know, fat <laughs> or mass, you know, so I I love that. The community thing I think is great, you guys. And I think that if you are struggling, definitely find someone, a community and and therapy. And I'm I'm a huge advocate for therapy and counseling just because it starts there. Like you said, there's trauma. There's things that, you know, we're dealing with that sometimes we don't even know that we're dealing with until you speak to someone and, and they help you start your healing journey in that way. And then I feel like everything else will just will follow, you know. There's something I just I just kind of remembered. Um, but there was one group I spoke with um, called the Body Positive. They're in Northern California, and they had these meditations to to kind of turn inward, like you were talking about, and and think about you know your body and look at your body in different ways. And one of the meditations really stood out to me. It was an ancestor meditation where you you close your eyes and you think about your ancestors. And if you don't know your ancestors, to kind of imagine mm-hmm. one, you know, someone who just lived a long time ago who's connected to you. And I thought of my great-grandmother for that exercise. And I thought about her life, which was hard. She had eight children and she was all alone. And if you think about her body and my body, and how we are connected. This woman I never met because she passed away so young. But her body was went through stuff, carried stuff. And that is a little bit somewhere in me. And if we think about our bodies in this deeper, bigger way, I mean, look, we can't go around thinking about our bodies like that at every moment. We're functioning. We're going to the gym. We're living our lives, right? But to, when we have a quiet moment to think about where we came from, and the bodies that came before us. Yeah, okay. It gets deeper. Mm-hmm. It gets deeper. I like that. I'm going to try that. I I love meditating, so I I'm going to I'm going to try that. Okay, cool. So I just wanted to touch a little bit on on our culture, you know? Like I feel for me, it was a lot in in like I would go to my grandma's house and it's like, "Here, eat this in this huge plate of of food and if you don't eat it, you don't love me. And and it's almost like, I think I want to say that's kind of where it started. I'm not blaming anyone, but it's just, I think it has to do with like the portions and even living in America. And it's like, everything's big and the bigger, the better. And when in reality, we just need like a little bit to survive, you know? And I mean, growing up in, in a Latin household, it was beans and rice and tortillas and a little bit of protein. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just, I think it's just the way I grew up and and almost like, oh, there's so many starving children in the world. So you need to eat all your food. Don't leave anything on the plate. And and you almost felt guilty. Like, oh, I'm I'm wasting food. You know, it's something I still struggle with, to be honest. Yeah, I think the wasting food, I grew up with that too. Um, You know, my mom's Italian. I grew up in a family that was all about food as celebration. Mm -hmm. And you want food, you want food to be that, right? Like, 
Yes. Food should be about celebration. Mm-hmm. But there's also that like all or nothing thing where like if there's food scarcity, like I did not grow up in a food scarcity house, but for people with food scarcity and if you're you're not eating and you don't have a lot and then there's a big celebration. So you eat like for the week at one dinner. I'm not saying that was your experience, but I'm just saying like yes. you find that like everyone has different access to food. And then culturally, if food is celebratory, it's actually you can overeat in plain sight and it's not seen as weird or you no one's going to notice something's wrong. I'm not saying it is weird. I'm saying that it's something very easy to do in plain sight, especially if culturally food is a big part of celebrations, which it is for most cultures. Yeah, it is. And it's a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. Like I love Mexican food and it's like, you know, I just grew up and I learned how to eat it and how to serve myself a realistic amount so that I don't waste food, you know, because I did grow up in in a home where we didn't have a lot growing up. And so whatever it is that we had, we had to be very grateful for it. And, you know, you had to finish it. And it was like a huge thing, which I'm like, okay, it was my childhood. And and I had a beautiful childhood. And I can't necessarily like complain in any way. But now that I'm older, now I can like fix those things, you know. But I also think that I didn't do this research, but this was research I read that someone else had done that other diets like the Mexican diet, Chinese diet, other diets are not studied with the same rigor as the Mediterranean diet, which is essentially a white European diet. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of viewed as the gold standard for healthy eating and olive oil's great for you and all that kind of stuff. But the other diets are not studied with the same thoroughness and enthusiasm. And so what I would love to see is other diets to be as studied as the the Mediterranean diet because the Mediterranean diet would be a great diet for people who come from that part of the world. Yes. And I, I love, actually, I went to, to Greece and the food was amazing and I just felt so good. It was fresh and there was a lot of <laughs> olive oil everywhere. And that's one thing, like I, I have a book. It, it was, I did like a, a recipe book for, for keto because I wanted there to be like more Latin flavor in my food or whatnot. And I, I just wanted to more than anything show the Latin culture that you can still eat all your favorite foods. It's just instead of using lard you can use olive oil like making small changes go a very long way especially in your health obviously yes you want to lose weight or whatnot but at the end of the day it's your heart health and your cholesterol and your blood pressure for me it's like now that i'm getting older it's like those things are what are most important to me so okay cool so tell us is there a cure for this well there's not a cure it's treatable the reason why eating disorders i think have reached such epidemic proportions is because there really isn't a standard of care. I mean, I interviewed one of the top eating disorder researchers in the world, and I was like, what do you mean there's no standard of care? He's like, yeah, it's really too bad there's no standard of care. I was like, you're kidding. Like, You go to the doctor, you have an eating disorder, and it's not like if you go to the doctor and have depression and they say, oh, try therapy, try an antidepressant, whatever, they have stuff. Eating disorders are kind of the Wild West. Some people are doing great work. Some people are doing stuff that doesn't really work, but they won't really tell you that. Some places say, we'll get you better right away. Just come here. I was told that was a red flag if a place tells you that they can get you better. But that's the battle, is that there isn't a cure. There isn't a guaranteed, consistent system that works. A lot of eating disorder treatment is for-profit 
doesn't take insurance, mm. maybe hasn't even been researched. It really is unregulated, which is why I think it's important that we ask questions, make sure that the providers that we seek are not going to also put us on a diet while they're treating mm -hmm. our eating disorder, which okay. happens, that we go into a, a physician or a therapist that is weight inclusive, meaning they treat people of all sizes and are not going to judge or shame people for whatever weight they are at. We find communities in the absence of great treatment, and there are so many amazing grassroots communities out there that can help us educate ourselves and support our healing. And when you see the other women that are on the other side of it, it is so inspiring. Like for me right now, I see so many body positive fitness. Like I love exercise. Like I loved it mm -hmm. too much when I was younger. I would exercise for hours and hours and hours. But I don't want to not exercise because I don't have an eating disorder anymore, right? So I looked at body positive fitness communities and I tried to figure out what's honest exercise for me. And so now I'm doing a lot of heavy lifting. And I met with this trainer. I said, dude, I had an eating disorder. I got a lot of problems in my relationship with my body. I don't want to talk about toning up or leaning out or any of the stuff. Could we just lift heavy stuff? And he's like, cool. cool. So we lift heavy I love, stuff. Yeah, because you're sweating and you're you're releasing that, uh, whatever it is, you know, the stress. It's amazing workout. Yes. It's so good for my mental health. And I can actually set a goal that's honest where I'm not like getting unskilled, seeing, seeing checking in, where am I? Because that's not great for me personally. Some people that works. Me, that's not good for it. Sends me down a dangerous road. Instead, I'm like, go downstairs, get like the big box of cat litter. And I'm like, heck yeah, running it up the <laughs> stairs, right? So that's something I can measure that's healthy, that makes me feel good and powerful. And so that to me has something that, but it takes a lot of trial and error to get there. Mm -hmm. And it, it could be different for each person. And my lovely listeners, you know, I'm not saying that any of you guys are cyber bullies or anything like that. I think it's just being mindful every single day of being nice, being considerate, being compassionate, because sometimes it's so easy, especially on social media to say, oh, you're so fat, you're so ugly, you're this, you're that. It's like you never know what that person is going through and why it is that perhaps they're holding on to weight or not being able to even gain weight. Because sometimes some people like can't gain weight and you're like, oh, you're too skinny. It's just like just live and let live, you guys, and be nice. It's such a good point. It's such a good point. And then you think of this this radical idea. What if we stopped talking about women's bodies all together? What mm -hmm. if we stopped talking about our body? What if we stopped thinking about someone else's body? What if we even we compliment someone like you know, you can catch yourself like, oh, my God, you look amazing. Did you? And then what you're going to say, lose weight. Uh, what if we t what uh -huh. if we stopped it all? Right. Yes. It'd be great. <laughs> I'd rather you tell me I love the color of your hair. You know, oh my God, what beautiful eyes you have, you know, <laughs> Cole, before you go, I'd love to know where we can find your book. Is there a website? You give me your social media, anything and everything that you want to say right now. It is your time, girl. Oh, thank you so much. The book is called What's Eating Us, Women, Food, and the Epidemic of Body Anxiety. You can buy it anywhere you buy books, Kindle, hardcover, audiobook, Amazon, Audible, anywhere you buy books. I'm on Instagram only, and it's at Cole Kasdan, C-O-L-E. K-A-Z-D-I-N. And my name is also my website, but people can find me at any of those places. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I love this conversation and I hope this conversation helps many people because I think we have all struggled with this in some point, even still, I'm telling you guys, I still, it's an everyday thing for me and I just have to remind myself what's important. So thank you so much. And you guys know, before we go, we always have a quote to uh, start your week off on the right foot, hopefully. Here it is. As you heal, you learn to honor yourself, your feelings, and your authenticity. So that is the quote, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Cole, I appreciate you. And everyone, go out and get her book. Follow her on Instagram. Check her out. And I will hopefully talk to you soon. Do you need advice on love, relationships, health, imas? I'm so excited to share with you that my Cheekies and Chill podcast will have an extra episode drop each week. I'll be answering all your questions. Just leave me a voice message con todas tus preguntas y yo te las voy a contestar personalmente. All you have to do is go to speakpipe.com slash Cheekies and Chill podcast and record your questions. I can't wait to hear from you. This is a production of iHeartRadio and the My Cultura Podcast Network. Follow us on Instagram at My Cultura Podcast and follow me, Chiquis, that's C-H-I-Q-U-I-S. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and check us out on YouTube. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.